what was my bleaker thing? No, whatever. Here All right, go. here we go. All right, we're live. What's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cast Crytlow, Cutter Nation Podcast 72. We've got another one coming strong for you guys, another local here in San Diego, Sam Peraza. But first, don't forget, please go rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us spread the channel and get the information out there. I'm really excited that we've started getting local into the San Diego community lately and, and get a lot more coaches that can – you know, speak directly to our area. So, Sam, I appreciate you coming on. Um, Sam's the pitching coach at San Diego State University. Sam, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and, and um, you know, your, your coaching history and, and how it all got started. All right. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. First of all, I know I've had this a couple conversations with Kaz and some of the things he's doing is pretty cool. And I've seen you guys on Twitter and social media content you guys have. Um Really, really trying to help out our, our San Diego community. And I know I haven't had a chance to, to go down to your facility, but I promise I'll make my way down there. And it's pretty cool stuff, man. Pretty cool stuff. I love the all, all the new teachings you guys are having. And as a, as a coach myself, kind of an older school coach, it's cool for me to learn as, as we get through some of the – so um, love it. So uh, anyway, so for me, I got involved in uh, – in baseball, I'm a kind of a junior college guy. I went to junior college out of high school. I ended up coaching. My first coaching gig was at the junior college I went to, which was El Camino Junior College out in Torrance. Um, I was coaching for Greg Bergeron, who is, you know, kind of made his way around. He's with Washington State right now, coached for his dad for a year under him. After that, I made my rounds over to Oklahoma State, Eastern Oklahoma State College, which is a small Junior college, Division One junior college out in Southeast Oklahoma. That was a culture shock for me, being from uh, Southern California, trust me. But I had a lot of really cool experience with the guys there. Uh, really had a, a great year and a half there. Was there for a year and a half after after that second year. I had a, a guy, Vince Barron-Healy, was at UCLA for 20 years. He brought me to Cal State LA. Got my first taste of NCAA baseball coaching. It was Division Two. You know, a, a great experience I got from there, obviously, just learning how to maneuver my way through the Division Two era, the scholarships, you know, bringing guys in, the funding. I thought I had a really good experience there. My first head coaching gig came uh, at Cal State Northridge with uh, Matt Curtis for a year. We had a really good year there, uh, won the most games we won there in 20 years, and it kind of led me to Florida International, went across country again, got a chance to see another part of the country. Florida International down in Miami with a legendary coach, Coach Turtle Thomas, probably one of the best recruiting coordinators ever out there. And that was really, really cool experience. Uh, we had four big leaguers on that team, current big leaguers, got a chance to recruit really high-profile guys, uh, recruited Nate Pearson, who's throwing 101 miles an hour now for the Blue Jays. That was all pretty cool. And then I came back to my alma mater, which where I finished my playing career was San Diego State, which was a, a wonderful opportunity for me going on my fifth year at San Diego State. Uh, my family loves it here. You know, we really built a pretty cool family atmosphere there. I got a four and six year old that, that are always around the ballpark nonstop. I mean, Kaz has been there a couple of times and he's seen them nonstop. Um, they come right after school. They come before our game. So you know, Coach Martinez, I was lucky enough to, to be hired by Coach Martinez, and he's really built the family environment there, which which is second to none, in my opinion. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Florida boy myself, so I've, I've actually played it played at FIU, um, not in college, but just different spots. So 
um, it, it's uh, cool to hear where all you've been, driven through Oklahoma and everything. So, um, everything okay? Yeah, I lost you for a second there. I'm, I'm trying to get you back, so sorry about that. No worries. I, I lost. Yeah, I lost the audio for a second, but I, I got you. I'm, I'm, I'm getting you back in here now. All okay, right. go ahead. Back on track. There sorry. we go. All right, it's all good. Go. Happens. We're, we're no, we're no pros. You know, it's no big deal. Part of the show. You, know, you, get, you get all the ins and outs from it. You know. So, um, you know, we followed you guys. We actually uh, brought our organization over to a game last year. It went well. You know, I think that's real important for young kids to see the game um, at, at the college yeah. level, at the highest level, and see the different levels, especially with junior colleges being right here. And, you know, you got your spread of, of really if you can start understanding where the game is. You know, I think kids um, don't necessarily compare themselves to the different levels and see how it is. Um, and you guys are starting off hot. I mean, 10 and 6 to start. Had a little spill right at the end. But, you know, uh, you guys play a rough schedule. You know, yeah, last we year we saw the Oklahoma game. And then this year you got Iowa, Nebraska, USC. Like, woof. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was by design, man. Well, the cool part is since I've been here, I do the scheduling. Uh, since I've been here, going on my fifth year, we've always had to play our conference twice. It's been an unbalanced schedule. And this year, Boise State came into the conference. And what that did for us, and if people don't understand this, it really opened up our schedule. We went from playing everyone twice, 32 conference games, to playing everybody once and going 21 conference games. So we used to start conference play the third week of the year. You know, we kind of had an opener, our Tony Gwynn Classic, conference play. What it did at this point is we don't start conference till April. So it opened up mm. the first seven weeks for us to really load up our schedule. And it was done by design. Last year was the first year of it. And or this past season, you know, it's too bad we weren't able to complete it. But it, we were loaded up. You should see our schedule next year and uh, loaded up through that as well. Got a trip to Florida happening. So um, it was by design and, and it gave us a chance to test us. You know, we've been at five regionals the last seven years. And we really feel that in order for us to make a push in, into a super regional, we, we had to find out what we had in line with the best of the best. And um, I, I thought our kids handled it really well, really well. You know, we if it wasn't for a couple mistakes we made at the end of the Oklahoma game, you know, they tied that game up. We, we had a lead in the eighth inning, one run lead in the eighth inning with our All-American closer on the mound. And uh, two, two unfortunate errors. It was a rainy day. It happened by our second baseman, threw two away, one to tie it, one that went in in the 10th. We could have got out of there with two out of three at Oklahoma, you know, to finish this shortened season. And I think uh, could have probably seen ourselves in the ranking. It would have been three games out of four from national ranked teams that week alone. So um, we're excited. We're excited what we have coming up in the future. Getting stuck in yeah. player development, I do not think about that enough. I, I just haven't spent a lot of time thinking about yeah. you have you impact the kind of schedule that you're having like that's such a unique kind of thing you know obviously at the lower levels it's to a degree but that's also like geographical like that's so cr you know yeah. it doesn't you don't think about that at the big league level like man that's a that's a whole entire like mind game in and of itself yeah you know what we opened up the season at coastal carolina and I, if you see we were the first game so we traveled across the country got there on thursday we were the first game in college baseball, 11 a.m. start, East Coast time, which was 8 a.m. for us, you yeah. know, which we were taking batting practice at, you know, 8.30, 9 a.m., which was 6 a.m., which we got up at 5 a.m. our time. 
and our guys having a come from behind win, I think, I think kind of showed to their character, how they fought and, and everything we prepared for. So I was so excited about this year. So disappointed with what happened, you know, just those types of, can't wins, imagine those types of, of, you know, comebacks and coming, going across country, getting two wins was really going to prepare us for what, what the season had in store. Yeah, I um, I'm really close with the uh, Hamlin coach back in Minnesota, the D three head coach, and like he said, that's maybe the hardest conversation he's ever had with a bunch of kids. Yeah, it was. It really was, you know. And and for luckily for us, we only have three seniors. Uh, we were a really young team. Uh, I both two of the three are going to come back. I do see one possibly signing as a free agent. Who knows? But but it's not. You know, we have some teams that have about 10, 15 seniors that really have to work some some numbers and it's going to be really overly crowded next year with with everyone coming in but we're in a good position we only had three seniors uh i think we're in good shape moving forward in the future that's great that's i mean it's uh it's interesting to see how everybody's this this weird time and and the rosters that are different and stuff and you know, um, I was a, a fifth year senior guy and, you know, I, I don't know if I would have come back to school if, if I had a chance to go pro or sign as a free agent, you know, knowing how that process is and how unique it is, especially if, if somebody was really giving me a chance, like, hey, you, you might go in, even if it was like the, the late 20s or something, you know, just yeah. to be like, I don't know, you know, so I, I respect that guy, you know. Yeah, it's all about educating them and, and what what they are leaving, what they possibly could have the following year. We're honest with our guys, man. I, if if we feel you're ready and this is a good chance and really staying back a year is not going to really improve your draft stock or, or whatever bonus you may get, then go ahead and sign. Like, we want you to go ahead and sign. And that's why I say one of them possibly could sign. It makes more sense for him, kind of an older guy, um, for him to kind of move on if he gets the opportunity. The other two guys, I think they benefit from coming back. I think that the position doesn't change from where they would be this year as opposed to next year. If anything, they could just improve their stock. Yeah, totally. So um, let's let's get into um, your, your team, um, you know, and, and what the philosophy is. I know we talked about – I heard you talk about family, which is great, and the culture. Um, you know, pitchers uh, specifically, the culture that you try to help these guys – you got an incoming freshman coming in. What what are they going to expect from San Diego State? Oh, they're going to they're going to expect an accelerated education process. So we we are demanding of our freshmen coming in. We have them take at least 15, 16 units coming in. We're trying to accelerate their their graduation process. We've had success with that. Most recently, we've had uh, two guys. One, Alan Trejo, he's playing for the uh, uh, Rockies right now. In Double A, we had um, Greg Allen, who's a big leaguer. He's a center fielder for the Cleveland Indians. Both kids graduated in three years and went to their first spring training with their college degree. So that's kind of the model we're trying to follow. We get the guys 15 units to start, you know, both spring wow. and, and fall semesters. Plus, we're looking for for kids that are coming in with some college courses. You know, we have a, a great summer program that we bring in some high school kids into. Basically, they take two classes in the summer. Uh, both are, are three unit classes. So it's six units. They got all the help they could get. They have counselors that are walking them through their entire syllabus. And it's kind of an introduction to college. So they get to lift with our strength coach, which is, as you guys know, huge. So they lift with our strength coach in the morning. They go to their two classes. 
They basically all have all the help they could, they could ask for to get two A's in those classes. So if you're a freshman coming in with, let's say, six college units, right, two, two courses that in high school, now you take our two, un- our two classes in the summer, you start your freshman campaign with 12 units. Now we give you 15 and 15. Now by the end of your freshman year, you're 40 units into this thing. You're a, you're a third of the way done. So that's kind of the model we have our guys. So first and foremost, education, you know, it's going to be an accelerated process. Um, when the kids come in, they really get introduced to the weight room. Uh, I don't care how much lifting they've done in the past, you know, with, with uh, they feel like they're prepared. They're really not prepared because they're being pushed by not just one, two, but by 35 other guys. And they really push each other to, to another level. Our strength coach, James Chasen, unbelievable job. Love him with the pitchers. So that's, that's another, another kind of shock for the guys. Uh, the throwing wise, I think it's been getting better. You know, as, as I go through the years, when I first used to get a freshman, going from throwing in six period high school baseball to bringing them in to throw six days a week and being a seven day plan where they're doing something every day was a bit of a culture shock for them. But now with, with, you know, they go to great places like your facility, they know, what to expect. They're coming in a little bit more, uh, more with knowledge of what to expect in a college game. So they're making that transition a little bit better. And I think that's where you're seeing the big jumps in velocities. It's, it's, they're not taking a step backwards, a big step backwards to take a huge step forward anymore. They're coming in pretty ready to go. So, uh, and that portion of it, I think it's been good. And then just the competitive nature, you, you expect to compete and, and, you know, you got so many guys around you that are your own same level. You're, you're, you're there to, to win a spot and, and everyone around you is pretty good. So a lot of the intangibles come into play and that's where you see the kids, uh, you know, the kids that blossom and the ones that don't. Well, you, all of your staffs have had a lot of success. So what the heck are you doing, man? It's simple, man. It, but basically is we, we limit the free bases and we compete. It's, it's the biggest thing. You know, I, I have that thing for our guys. The biggest thing we talk about is you're going to be competitive. We treat it like a boxing fight. I've had some guys in some boxing background and said, hey, we're there to throw the first punch. We're on the mound. We have the ball. Don't wait to get hit in the mouth. Throw the first punch. You want to throw the last punch. You're going to get on the mound. You're going to be competitive, and you're going to limit the free bases. Let your team work. You know, we love strikeouts as much as anybody else, but we got to get to two strikes first before we could we could try to, you know, shoot for them. But we, we definitely preach limiting – uh, based on balls, you know, limiting wild pitches. We're, we're trying to limit, we're trying to make the other opponent earn as much as they can. And I think the most recent success has been honestly uh, just opening yourself up to different things. Like uh, there's so much technology out there. And Kaz, you and I touched on this a little bit is how much this game's evolved over the last two years, especially on the pitching side, right? Everyone's just getting so much better, throwing harder, um, there's so much help, so much technology out there. I've been opening myself up to, to everything out there. And what I try to, to do is try to use it as a tool. Basically. It's like, if you're going in the garage and you're building something, you, you don't always need a hammer. You don't always need a jigsaw. Well, you don't always need the wraps little, you don't always need the track man, but I think it's good to have all those tools ready for different people. So all our guys do different things. I think that's been a big part of our success is we not all our pitchers do the same thing at any given time. You know, I have 17 arms out there. We have maybe three or four different throwing programs happening at one time. So we all start the same, 
But if you go out there and see us throw, we don't all we don't all finish the same, and we don't all do the same steps, you know, all the way back, all the way forward. Different guys are doing different things tailored to their needs. Do you think that that is? I mean, so I think it's more common, but I feel like I'd be naive to think that it's popular. It's. So it's it's a different wave, right? I mean, you have your your younger coaches that I think it's more common with, and we have our older guys that are still having a little bit of a hard time. You know, it's still stuck on their ways. I feel like I'm kind of that in between guy. You know, I'll be 41 years old here in a month, but I I feel like you have to nowadays. Part of recruiting is understanding what these kids are doing before, so you have to educate yourself with it. You know, I've been in the drive line. I've been. You know, I love TPI. I love what Dr. Rose is doing with those guys. It doesn't mean that I, uh, you know, 100% agree with everything he's doing, but I'm pretty darn good. <laughs> and, you know, just everyone that's, that's doing their thing, I think you got to educate yourself with everything that's going on. And if a kid comes in from your, from your, um, from your facility and the way you've taught them and I like them that way, I don't want to take away something that they've done there with you guys, you know, and say, Hey, no, we're going to do it this way. So if a kid believes that, Hey, throwing the ball behind his back and catching it with his glove and throwing it afterwards is what makes him better. Well, we're going to find a way to incorporate that step in between our steps of throwing program. So I don't want to take that away from them. I want to make sure that, that, you know, confidence is such a big thing and, and belief is such a big thing on the mound. I want to try to incorporate everything we have in there. So yeah, is it, it's common among the younger pitching coaches, I think some of the older ones are starting to come around and, and use use as much as they can as a tool to help our kids out. It's it's interesting how you use the tech and how you say that the guys do different stuff. And, and I totally agree because, you know, we've had, you know, 14-year-old parents that, that want to come in and jump on the rap soto. And yeah. it, you, you have that conversation with them where it's like, hey, listen, the kid throws 72 miles an hour, right? So yeah. none of these stats make any sense right now. Exactly. Okay, yeah. so that's not even the point of what we're doing. I understand that you might want to see if there is a little bit of an extra thing you can do, but your 14-year-old son's cutter is not that good, right? And it's not because of the spin rate. It's literally because he's too weak. He hasn't thrown enough. He doesn't, you know, compete enough. He's, you know, he's he's on, he's doing on thumbs, you know? He's a, yeah, he's, a, he's a controller pitcher, you know? And so we have those conversations a couple of times with people and they just don't understand. They think it's like, I'm like, no, this is, we don't, we don't need to do that. You know? Yeah. So it, it, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the pitch logic ball, but we've been using it a lot lately and it's, um, it's a little bit different of a thing. And, and, uh, one of the reasons why I like it is because when you, in your catch play, uh, and your drill work, you can get spin rate and arm angle things that actually matter. Right. Like we, yeah. we don't know if a guy's cut, cutting the ball, um, you know, with this previous information until he got on the mound, right? If you could really see that the spin efficiency was off, you know what I mean? And you could kind of see it just a little bit, but it didn't really make sense. And, and with, with as technology becomes, you know, going the other way, like you're saying, where it's coming back to more of the, the middle where we're starting to actually understand where we should be looking for this information. I think that, you know, anybody is really going to be able to process this information better. And then, we have nine and 10 year olds that are using the pitch logic ball to help them work with spit efficiency and arm angle and trying to match up better and start it from the beginning. And we already, we were already seeing big differences in, in their progress from the beginning. You know, you just cut down the learning curve. 
So, awesome. you know, with, with your guys in technology, where do you feel like that you gain the most with your pitchers utilizing that technology for who even kids have, you know, you used it before and haven't? Uh, I think everyone's different. I think there's some guys that get, get a lot out of video. So we record everything, right? We record our bullpens, our inner squads, our games. And what I tell our guys is the first month you're with me, if we watch 85% of what we record, that's about right. After the first month, if we're over 50%, we're, we're in trouble. Okay. We can't get too consumed with it. So I like that. I like yeah. that. So it's basically there. And I tell them, Hey, everything's going to be recorded. If, and if you want to come back and archive and say, Hey, I felt great. My second outing in the squad and you know, my breaking ball didn't feel the same now, at least we could go back to it. So we have it, but I don't want you to get consumed with it. So vi- video is a big part early for us. As we can go, I ask you about the cameras on, on that? Are you using Edutronic? Are you using man, basic Sony's? What are you using? I'm trying to get an Edutronic, and, and this uh, whole coronavirus is going to really slow us down. We were close to getting one, and now with the budget cuts, it's uh, I'm still going to fight for it. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, but can I make a recommendation? Yeah, there's a Sony camera that does a thousand frames per second, and it's only a thousand dollars. Um, I'll try to see if I can get you the number, the the model number or whatever. Shoot but, it my um, way, man. Yeah, I will, yeah, and and what, it'll what it'll do exactly now? what you want. So right now we just have kind of a, a Sony camera as well that we use in the bullpens area along with the Rapsodal, and then mm-hmm. on the main diamond we have our bat system. So we use our bats camera, which are pretty high end cameras. They're pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not like the Edutronic, but it, it gets pretty pretty in depth there and pretty close. Uh, so those are kind of our, our go-to cameras right now, but yeah, any, anything you could, you could suggest, man, I'll definitely take it. For sure. I'm, I'm big, I'm big into this, uh, camera and, and tech stuff. We've been doing a lot, especially with the pitch logic ball and doing stuff. And we've been comparing a bunch of our data and stuff back and forth. And we just upgraded our lighting in the gym so we could get better stuff. And then just with my iPhone, cause my iPhone actually does 240 okay. um, frames per second. So we, I got a what's called a light stand, which is basically uh, the not the, the extender part of the tripod. And okay. we put a phone a phone mount on it. It goes up to ten feet high. So then I just angled it, put my phone in the window, and we got. You can see if you look on our social of me throwing cutters, you can actually see my hand roll off the ball and the seams go away. Yeah. That's so it's it's, yeah. it's it's getting it's getting easier and easier. So I, I'd love to help you with that setup if that's something you need. It's very yeah, we well, also I'll use say. a huddle, huddle app. Have you seen that huddle yeah. app where you mm-hmm. can kind of mirror people in there? Yeah, that, that was a big tool for one of our, our left-handers. Uh, you know, Stephen Brault, the left-hander for uh, the Pirates starting pitcher, mm-hmm. he comes and throws with us all the time, which is awesome. You know, he, he's really, really cool about talking to our guys. And we kind of uh, mirrored his, his delivery with one of our left-handers' delivery and really showed him that you could kind of keep your hips going towards the first baseline and still be on time, you know, because he's kind of a crossfire action guy. Mm-hmm. Steven is as well, and it gives him deception, but it was about how he gets his hips still turned around in time towards home plate. So that really helped one of our left-handers. We, we kind of mirrored both both videos and send it to his app, and, and uh, he was able to kind of dissect it and, and mirror what Steven's trying to do. So he took off and did a good job. So that that's a big part of it. Um, you know, some guys need the Rapsodo. Some guys need the TrackMan in order to see their stuff. Some guys don't need any of it. I have one of the smartest kids I've uh, ever coached as far as uh, not on the field, off the field, is uh, Trey Brown, who I, I love. Had a great year for us. Finally came into his own. 
School's doing a story on him. He's a pre-med kid. Took him a couple years. Local kid from Chula Vista, you know, East Lake High School. Took him a couple years to get going, but I, I'm so proud of him. You know, I had to – he doesn't get to watch much video. He's kind of a jerky guy as it is. He doesn't get to, to get his readings much. For him, it's more about feel and being able to control his body and being able to be him, being able to be free, not try to – to mimic what other people do because he's so analytical and he's, he's such a smart kid that he, he tries, he, he, he thinks about it way too much in depth of these things. And he just can't, he needs to be him. He can't try to be somebody else. So, you know, it's been three years and man, that, that kid was, he's, you talk about our shortened season happening. He was a kid that was going to be a draft guy for sure. No one's seen him. And he's at like a one ERA clip, hitting 92, 93, finally, you know, being loose, being himself. So he was a junior. We're going to get him back. But, um, you know, I thought he had a, a chance to, to really put himself in pro baseball right now. But he's, he's a guy that doesn't use anything. We don't use anything with him. We talk about pitching with him. We talk about what, his, what it feels like. Um, you know, he has come into the office and, you know, when we stream our games, obviously Mountain West Network, and he comes in telling me, hey, I saw what I was doing. I'm like, okay, well, what did it feel like when you were on the mound? So it's, it felt fine. It didn't feel like I was doing that. I said, well, then keep doing what you're doing. Like, it's a feel thing for you. You're throwing strikes. Totally. You have a put-away pitch. So in terms of what we use, everyone uses different things. You know, everybody uses different things. I think the, the, the video is used – pretty much across the board for everyone the first month of the season. And then it just depends after, or the first month of the fall. And after that first month, it depends on who you are and how much you need it and what we're going to take from it. That, that's a, a, a very simple um, use of technology. And I think people overlook that idea of technology. I had a conversation with a parent the other day. I said, it, they were worried about the same thing about, you know, there's too much tech, there's too much numbers yeah. and, and baseball is not about technology. And I said, well, like, what about your phone? Is, is the camera technology? And, and she yeah. said, no. And I said, well, actually, you know, it is. So um, that, that's a great use of being able to spread out. And, and, you know, really, I like the idea of playing into people's strengths and making sure that the kids who need to use it, use it and don't. Like, I'm, I'm a nerd with numbers. So, like, you tell me if my slider needs to be 2,800 RPMs and yeah. I need to spin it harder. Well, now it turns into a video game and now I can try to see how much spin I can get on it. And then I see how that affects the distance and the action of it. Now I'm trying to make that shape, you know, and um, it sounds like you have a pretty good feel of that and, and you can display that to your kids also. So that's, that's important. You know, um, do you utilize, uh, we do this with our kids, um, but I think it's a little bit different in your area, but um, we point out with our younger guys, uh, to the older guys that are throwing in the same session, especially with college guys, like we may have a seven or eight year old throwing in the same time frame that they are, and we'll just point it out and be like, yep, see how he loads down and then his timing of when he rotates and how that works, and then vice versa. We might even have a college guy that's just like super pull off, doesn't really feel it, and you know, we'll point it out a nine year old. Do you do you happen to do that with your seniors and your freshmen where you're like using them as the example? I, I do use them as an example for them to watch. Now, we, we always – one of the unique things in our program, and, and I kind of uh, I kind of pride myself on this, that's why I'm going to bring it up, is – and I have the luxury to do it, is we never since about four – no, more than that, six, seven years ago, I've never thrown a double-barrel bullpen. So as recruits come in, I always tell them, hey, it's going to be one at a time. It's going to be you and I every single time. 
and we'll come in in groups of two but one guy's throwing one guy's watching and charging and he takes over and when we do our sit down bullpens a guy will throw his first set sit down while the other guy goes and then we vice versa so we we always go one at a time and this is kind of just for us to always have our attention on him i always have a couple guys helping me too former pitchers of mine just to have more eyes but we we do do that we have the guys that are sitting down. I try to pair up a senior with a, with a younger guy so he could kind of see the way, not only how his delivery is, but the way he goes about his business, the way he goes about his bullpen, with what type of focus. They're always competitive. Um, we're always throwing the locations. We're always charting them plus, minus, and X, you know, whatever, whatever your location. If, you, if we're going to a down and away fastball, it's got to be a perfect location to be a plus. What ends up happening is the young kid looks at me and says, is that a plus or an X, right? Is that perfect or just a strike? And I usually tell him, hey, uh, it's your decision, but he's going to charge you next. And whoever loses this thing is going to go ahead and clean this bullpen up at the end. So they start getting competitive. And, you know, we always try to do that, which which means our, our bullpen start early, man. We, we get our guys out there before practice starts. We try to get them in a window where, where they have a little break in between classes. You know, practice normally start at 2 o'clock. If you're a bullpen guy on, on Tuesday, you'll probably come anywhere from 11 to 1 before practice starts, depending on your schedule, and, and just try to be individual attention for you before we actually start practice. So, um, But, yeah, to your question, yeah, we, we do. We try to partner them up, older, younger, make sure that not only the mechanical part of it, but they see how they prepare, how they do their bands, how they do their long toss program, everything. I want them to, to understand how – the older guys who've been through our program and our system and, you know, I always tell them, Hey, I'm here to help you coach yourself as you move and you get older, how they go about their business. And that helps the young guys as well. How, how do you manage like the balance of like, there's an obvious like uh, sense of you creating a sense of professionalism with your players. Like, yeah. Hey, like you're going to be a professional. So let's like act like it. But then there's also this dynamic of like getting them to play free. Like, yep. so how do you, how do you, how do you address that? You know, it, I think that we we do a good job of that, and I think part of it is me having help all the time. You know, when 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 as of three years ago, it was always, you know, a, a head coach, another assistant, sometimes a volunteer, all hitting guys. You know, coaching up fifteen to seventeen hitters, and there was always the pitching coach coaching up seventeen to twenty pitchers, right, by himself. So I think it, it's taken a turn where we're we're seeing multiple pitching coaches or at least help in different programs. I have two guys that pitch for me, you know, Cody Thompson, Brett Seaberger. One was a draft guy, 10th round draft pick of the Cardinals. So he could share that experience. And one who might've been the better pitcher in college was a four year starter bullpen Tuesday guy who didn't get a chance to get drafted. He wasn't a pro guy, but he could share all his experience when it comes to coming out of the pan, starting, Tuesdays, preparing for a Friday start, a spot start. So those guys help me keep it loose because I one of them does the pre, pre-workout pre stuff, which means the dynamic stretch, the J-bands, leading up to the throwing program, you know, gets to chat with them, share their experience. I get them in the throwing portion of it. And the other one does the post-throwing. So it gives those guys a chance to talk to different people, stay loose, you know, try to open up to just not me know that there's other people they could talk to. And, you know, the first month of the year, it's usually we're going to be competitive. We're going to be really professional. 
And as it gets past the first month of the fall, just just as video, we start loosening up the rope a little bit, you know, giving them a little bit of freedom. And their kids, we always have to pull it back, you know, and I let them know, hey, I'm going to pull it back a little bit right now. I didn't like this, but it's okay. You're going to get another opportunity. We start loosening it up, and it's all about maintaining that balance. So for me, I, I always tell our guys, you know, a perfect example is, hey, I'm going to call the pitches only because I have more time to study the hitters than you do based on classroom. Now, everything I call is a suggestion. I want you to know that you have the freedom to shake whenever you want. And you're gonna talk to me about it. And I just want you to understand a good decision. I'm telling you what I'm suggesting. I think a cutter into this lefty works because you know, he closes himself off and his he arm bars and I think we could really get in there. That's my suggestion to you. If you're not feeling that pitch, switch it up. You know, and, and I try to get them to understand that they need to do that. In the fall, when we're having our inner squads, I can't tell you how many times I tell them, hey, you're on your own, this hitter. Or I, I wait for the crucial pitch, the 2-2, two, two, the 3-2, the second and third, bases loaded pitch. Say, hey, you're on your own. I want to see what they want to do in that situation. You know, so um, a perfect example of that was our closer. He, Casey Schmidt, you know, he's going to be a second, third rounder. He just, he, he needed to freelance. So I literally let him call his own pitches. In the fall, I said, and you could do it in the season. I don't care. I'm not going to call him. Well, he came back and said he wants me to call him because he knows the hitter and he'll shake me when he wants, which is fine. It worked out well, but he needs to freelance. He needs to, he's got a big league cutter. You talk about cutter nation, big league cutter, 90, 92. And, Are you uh, calling it freelance, by the way? Yeah. That's amazing. I love that idea. That concept yeah. is beautiful. Go ahead, continue. Wants, yeah, tell me about his cutter. I love him. Already. No, no, no. He wanted, you know, he wanted to go cutters away and bat, you know, bat dorm sometimes. And I was like, okay, no. Let me just tell you, this guy dives over the plate, or this guy opens it up. I yeah. think we could do it with him, mm -hmm. you know. So it, it was just a matter of getting him to understand. And and again, like that, like we just used that term, freelance, and just do his thing, you know. And and the more he did it, the more competitive he he felt, and the more ownership he took with his mistakes. So. I think that's the big thing for our guys. Does he front door it? He does, yeah. He does. He, I, he That's literally how I made my career in Mexico is just front door cutters all day. He's got a really good – it's like 90-92. It's, it's – yeah. I can't wait to see it. What's his yeah, name? Casey Schmidt. He's on every draft. Casey he's the Schmidt. Best, he I'm, was ranked the best two-way guy in the country. This did he, was he an Eastlake guy? Eastlake guy, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I thought I thought his name. I'd heard his name before. Yeah, he's our third base um, man. Third baseman, yeah. starting third baseman in a closer. Yes, I mean, that's exciting. Well, hey, can't wait to see it. That's, I mean, anytime I, I hear a plus cutter, I get excited. Yeah, man, that's what I actually, you know, with, with you guys is in the, in the cutter nation. I just think that's, uh, it's funny because if I ever had a facility or if I ever had a, an academy, I think I that would I would try to steal your name. I know you guys have copyrights here, but I love the cutters. <laughs> I think it's oh, such a good simple term for our guys to learn. And it even is. guys that come in with, you know, sometimes not so great sliders that we turn into cutters, and even guys that do have good ones, I think they could, you know, benefit from shortening it up. Um, I have a pro guy that, that's coming in that's working on one, actually, that we're today. He comes in and we throw in our cage, you know, once a week right, right now, now that it's a little open, and we're trying to get him a – a little cutter. I won't say his name, but but he's working hard on it, and, and he, he's a pro guy, man. It, it comes out of his arm like nonstop. He picks it up yeah. like this, right? I mean, so yeah, we got yeah, 
I think I it's want, such, a, such an easy it's a it's a simple term for the guys to know how we teach it at least. Yeah, I, I'm yep. with you. Like we get we get our nine year olds rocking it and they love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I just want to hear you talk about how you read hitters. So when we and this is I actually do this in the classroom with our pitchers. We get them in there and I tell them how I read hitters so they understand what I'm looking for. So what I tell them all the time is we're going to start from the ground up, right? The first thing, and I learned this from uh, Coach Vince Barron Healy. He was an old 20-year UCLA hitting coach, had Troy Gloss, Chase Utley, uh, one of the best hitting guys out there. You know, he's the head coach at Cal State LA. I worked for him for, for five years, and he was always about from the ground up, right? So the first thing I want to see is where, where are the guys, do they cross over the plate? Do they lock themselves, their hips? Do they open up? Do they stay straight? That's the first thing I, I see all the time, and that's what I tell our guys. Look where they're standing. I tell our catchers, look not only where they're standing in the box, but where they finish in the box. It's really important, more important where they finish than where they're standing. Kind of gives you an idea of what they're looking for. And then we just work our way up, right? Then we start looking at the swing. Where is their, their placement in their, in their stance? You know, do they have a high elbow, a low elbow? Where does the swing go from there? Where does the bat path take him from there? Is it a guy that we could go up in the zone? Is it a guy that we need to stay down in the zone because he's going to chop at things? Um, and I want them to understand that. And then we start looking at film as far as what they could get to, what pitches they could get to, and what have they could, can they get to a ball in the outer half? Can they get to a ball in the inner half? Once we're done evaluating, you know, kind of from the ground up, I tell them, with that all being said, I'm going to suggest where I think your strengths hit their weakness and that's how we're going to pitch them but if your strengths are also their strength we're going to go with our strength you know if this guy still can handle the ball in and that's where we throw we still got to be able to throw in we just have to be a little smarter about it i tell our arm side guys hey if it's a righty righty guy get opens up still wants the ball in the inner half i'm not going to take away that arm side run that arm side sink for you you just got to follow him you got to understand where he finishes. If he finishes way open, well, you got to follow him in there. Okay. If he finishes way close, then you have a chance to really stick it in there and keep it a strike. But it doesn't have to be a strike. Just follow what he's doing. Follow the hitter, totally, and you'll be fine. I, so I think what 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 I love about what you're talking about there is you're, you're um, we, we talk about it all the time, and I don't think it's talked about enough, especially with coaches talking about intentionally throwing balls, you know, or setup pitches, or understanding like you're saying you, you got you got six inches of run that we know you can't control right yep. and at one it's one it's three one it's six one it's eight right so we got to find some consistent you know feel of it and understand where where you feel comfortable doing it because you know the as you know it sounds like you look for holes like i look for holes the back foot change up right on right is just devastating yep. to hitters and, and I think the reason why is because the way it comes out of the hand and when you see in the hitter, you immediately think inside fastball. Yep. So, it, you know, sinker guys, uh, change up split guys, you know, I, I saw, I've, I've watched so much baseball. I'm sure it sounds like you have two on it, but that's a pitch that we really try to make sure that our righties understand. Like this, this is an actual weapon. This is not a get me over, throw the chain up or the sinker where it is. If you can spot this thing and throw it underneath the barrel like this and have it action nobody will hit you you know that 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 is a tough pitch too that is a tough pitch not only to hit but to, to teach then i think it's the mentality part in the in the pitcher you, they have to trust it you know they don't yep. the last thing they're thinking is i don't want to hit this guy with a change of hand 
you know, so yeah. they have to understand that it, you know, one of the things I tell our guys with our changeups, we have, we have half our guys are changeups, half the guys are splits, right? We can get into that afterwards. Uh, but our changeup guys, I always tell them, and, and I stole this from Pedro Martinez is it's a power changeup. You don't you sure. have a power changeup. You're not, it's not a finesse pitch. You're not trying to get it over. You are trying to throw this changeup by them. You know, you got to mm-hmm. keep the arm slot the same. It's a power pitch for you. No different than your power breaking ball. You're trying to get this thing through him. So, you know, once they believe in that, and if they could do that pitch that you're talking about, I mean, it is. It makes our job way easier, right? We look for sure smarter. So, that's that's awesome. So the thing that you uh, do that in the World Series tremendously. Oh yeah, he's he's the man when it comes to that. It's funny, man. For sure. It's funny because he had to develop that thing in pro in pro ball, right? Because mm-hmm. when he was here at San Diego State, and I've talked to him on many occasions about this, you know, right prior to the the zillion dollar contract he just signed and got his house in Virginia, he was living in San Diego and coming to throw with us nonstop. He's yeah, he's awesome. He's you know he's kind of a quiet guy, and that is who he is. But when he's in the in the bullpen with our kids, he opens up freely, and it's great. And one of the things he talked about was he had to learn that changeup uh, in professional baseball because when he was at San Diego State and the lower levels, 100 slider, 100 slider, yep. right? It didn't yep. matter. You were left-handed, right-handed, it didn't matter. That's what it was. Yep. And as he, as he developed that thing, he talked about putting the, the bucket where he, he put a ball bucket where he wanted to throw it. So whether it be in or righty, away to righty, and he just always thought about landing it in the bucket so the bucket was kind of just laying flat with a circle inside of it oh and i love it, yeah, yeah. it in the yep. and landing awesome. it and getting the back of the bucket to push backwards so he said hey i'm gonna try to get that thing with power so that bucket kicks out backwards and it was a pretty cool conversation so you know obviously he does it really well but that yeah, is sure. i have done that with kids in the past just as a thing and kids love that. Just yeah. for for the record, just as a different a way to make throwing yeah. exciting. For yeah, sure, absolutely. Blow up I, I that bucket. We we try to incorporate mini games a lot in in things. Whether it's a, a game that I've come up called four wall, which is you know we have our box on our target. Yeah. You, each pitch you have to hit one of the walls on it, or you know percentages. Uh, you know you, you got to try to beat six out of ten throws of your pitches throwing them in the box, or you know, one-on-one competition. We, we try to gamify as much as we possibly can because we just notice that the focus and the attention seems to go so much better with guys when they're actually competing against another human instead of against themselves, you know? And so from nine to college, like everybody, you know, the college guys, I, I'll get them razzled up or whatever, and I'll go, okay, well, you want let's go cutters only, above 81, and first to three on the bottom line. And they'll yeah, be like, all right, let's go, you know? Absolutely. absolutely. Like, it, it works in college too, man. That's why our bullpens are the competitive bullpens, and it's pretty cool. You know, we, we the first month, I hate to admit this, but it, it sometimes becomes on running just to kind of prove a point. The first two bullpens, the loser, you know, whether it be 12 sprints at the end, the winner has six sprints and the loser has 18. He takes his 12 and the six, and he has to add it to him. And then what ends up happening is the the evolution of it, which is really cool, I've had guys sit there and bet lunch with each other. Hey, if I beat you in this bullpen, you're buying, you know, you're buying me lunch. Yeah. So then they go get ready to do their running, and I'm like, hey, there's no running for you guys today. No, don't worry about it. It's like, oh, but I won. It's like, no, you guys are competing, which is what I wanted to see. 
So it's really cool when you can make it a competitive and a game environment, you know, it takes care of itself. Dude, it's such a good counter to like your personality. Like, like it's just so impressive, right? That's obviously what makes you as successful as you are is like, you know what I mean? Like if you're going to be locked in all the time, like creating this environment where that just like supplements it, it's, it's really, it's really cool. So yeah, that's, that's why I try to keep the young guys around, man. I'm always going to do that. You know, like I said, we have two guys and and one just finished grad school. The other one's in grad school. The one that just finished grad school, uh, Cody Thompson, I got to get him somewhere. You know, he's going to be a really good pitching coach and I got to get the new guy who wants to take grad school, you know, uh, and, and wants to, be over there and and be a pitching coach eventually to help me out because uh, I think it's a good balance. The older I get, I need to keep them younger next to me. So they know, you know, they kind of uh, slow me down a little bit and tell me when I'm, if I'm being unreasonable at times and, and I think it helps, you know, so I think uh, that's been a, that's been a really important part of our success in the, in the previous, in the last few years. Well, and I just highlight it because that's, it's so, you talk about um, teaching kids to, you know, be themselves, learn how to be themselves. And, you know, I, I'm a Minnesota guy. So like a PJ Fleck and I look at a coach, and I'm like, you are exactly who you say you are. Yeah. And all of your things reflect that. And so the more I get to know you, like I just hear these patterns over and over and over again. And then I see the trail of success behind you. And, I'm, you know, for everybody else listening, these are the things that you pay attention to. It's like, it's, it's really impressive. So anyway, um, yeah. Um, there were a couple of things, uh, else that we had talked about. Um, oh, I don't know if there's a segue. I was, we talked about like screwing kids up. So yeah. yesterday <laughs> we were talking about bleaker. Uh, we were talking with Eugene bleaker of 108 and he brought up Randy Sullivan and Lance Wheeler and just how everybody's coming together. Like there's a lot of conversations happening right now. Um, and it seems to be that we're all going like, Hey, we're all kind of doing the same thing here and we're all kind of gravitate, which is, which is cool. Cause I, I brought up that I don't know that it's happening and hitting as much. Um, but anyway, uh, so I, I can freely talk about a lot of the mistakes that I've made. Um, but I don't know. Do you want to talk about just like some of the things that you got? We talked about it a little bit. You, let's, I don't want to tell you where to start. You want to just go? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think we all learn from our mistakes and we make mistakes along the way for anyone that tells you that they didn't, it's, you know, they're lying to you. Cause I think we all or just started from. coaching. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I mentioned this guy to you and, and he's our guy, Jacob Flores, who we were talking about early with Stephen Broughton helping him out. He was a hard throwing left-hander, you know, he was committed to USC early. Uh, some issues happened. I had, we got a chance to get in there. Um, he was 89, 90, uh, coming out of high school. And I always eat six, four left-hander always thought to myself, man, I'm going to get this guy, you know, the arrogant me, I'm gonna get this guy to be 95, right. He's, he's, he's kind of funky. He comes from a three quarters arm angle from behind the left-hander. He doesn't land on time. Doesn't get inside 90, doesn't use his hips properly. So I'm already have, you know, the four year plan for him over there. He's going to thank me when he's a first rounder. Right. So, and when he came in as a freshman, we started doing all those things, you know, I wanted to get his arm a little bit shorter, get him inside 90 as he lands, make sure he's doing everything properly mechanically wise. You know, I, I made him see some of the driveline stuff, but you know, and we did, we got him to throw firmer. We also, got him to get hit harder he was he wasn't missing many barrels as a freshman right so um 
you know, last, it happened last year as a sophomore where he started the same way. He missed, he didn't start very successful at the beginning of the year. And it really got to a point where I just said, screw it, man. We got two weeks to get back on track or you're, you're not going to pitch again the rest of the, the way. I mean, I can't use you right now. We need you. You know, you're a sophomore now. I expect the bigger things from you. And he said, well, I just don't feel comfortable. And I said, well, what makes you feel comfortable? Well, in high school, I used to jump that way. I said, well, we're going to go back to what you did. That's what we're going to go back and do. And, you know, we had that clip with Steven and how he's athletic and he could still kind of be on time. He's got a little arm drag, but he's still not too far off upon landing. Even if he's cross-fired, we did some video work with him to fine tune some stuff, but really it was about letting him be him, letting him be when he had the most success throughout his high school career is how he felt. So he started going back to the funky arm coming behind you left-handed went back to his original, you know, 87 to 89, you know, he'll touch the nineties. But if you look at the stats, he was like at a one ERA this year, he was really unhittable. You look at the numbers on the wraps of the ball just disappears in the last four feet. It just has some hard sink, like true sink to it. He also keeps his four seam pretty true up top. And that was when he was being able to change the arm slot a little bit when he went up. And we just let him be him. And there was a, you know, he, the, one of the games at Oklahoma, outstanding how he was, outstanding. He helped us win that game, helped us win so many games. A game against Oregon State. He came in and punched out six straight guys on all fastballs. I mean, they were just not seeing his fastball. And, yeah, it was just – it just changed his career basically by letting him go back to what he did. You know, so I think sometimes we get caught up in, hey, I'm going to get this guy to do this. I'm going to get this guy to do that, where we have to let them be them first. You know, one of of my biggest things – and. And I have talks with our head coach about it. He's like, hey, don't you think he needs to do this? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to let him I'm gonna let him see what he could do with what he does first. And then we'll talk about some changes that need to be made. But, you know, in the case of Jacob, I screwed him up at the beginning. You know, I, I did. I, I had a chance. I thought that it would help him to get to more of a traditional way. And it really was detrimental. I think letting him go back to what he did really was the defining point in his career. And he was a runner-up, an honorable mention last year as a sophomore, and he was on his way for our conference again this year. And, you know, we'll get him back too because he was on his way for a possible, you know, ten to fifteen round draft guy. And and with the with the draft possibly being five to ten rounds now, there's a good chance we get him back as well. So, you know, he's uh. He's done a really good job, and and then, you know, not to not to make the story longer, but he's part of the the culture that we have because he he's able to get freshmen and tell them, hey, you just got to be honest with coach and tell them how you feel because this is what happened with me. I didn't tell him how I felt till the second year, and once I did, he let me be me. He's gonna let you be you. You know, we had that with our one of our freshmen lefty, so he was kind of stood as a mentor to those guys and let them know, hey, just be honest and do this and you know, things are going to work out. So it's been, it's been really cool to watch. It, it almost gets me emotional because it's like, that's, that's really, that's, that's the moral of the story, right? Is like, you're teaching kids how to be themselves. You have to. And like, so that's what I love that we're being transparent right now, because I think, you know, as a coach, I have it, I have people to say it all the time. I don't care how I, how I present myself. There's going to be 
uh, a level of intimidation just because of being a coach, right? And so like trying to be approachable, especially with kids the way they are now, like it's hard. It, kids have a hard time making decisions and kids yeah. have a hard time facing the reality of like this conversation might actually not go the way that I want to, or it might. Right. Yeah. But they just get so beaten down. And I'm, I'm so guilty of this. I'm sure like, gosh, I'm, I'm such a, you talked about being in the middle of where you're at. Like, I, I just feel so stuck in the middle because I can so relate to players. Um, you know, I had a very tough time, a young, young time in my career, first and second year, I was just all over the place. And then just like kind of grew up a little bit and, and then you go, maybe these things have to happen for a reason, right? And yep. and so, you know, I, I hope kids listening to this understand that, like, you got to think for yourself because or things are going to happen to you. And this is John's story. You know, this is the story that Coach Praz just shared. Like, gosh, there's learning things from every side. So I appreciate you sharing that because it's it's not to sit and rag on anybody. It's this is this is real. This is part of the process. And, and you got to be aware of it. So, yeah, we have to know we got to they got to know what pushes them to and how they get better. And, and they just have to be them. You know, they got to take it little bits and pieces from everybody. It's it's again, it's a tool in a toolbox, you know, and and uh, I love, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Dr. Rose over at TPI earlier. Yeah, I love some of his terms that he said. He said, hey, I, I'm you know, your, your athlete is the car. Think of it as a race as a race car. He's the car. You know, I'm the mechanic trying to help him do, you know, trying to make this car function properly. As the coach, you're kind of the driver. The car is still the the actual you know thing that's going to be successful. You're just kind of steering the wheel and helping this guy go along the way. But they have to be them. They have to they have to have the freedom to be them. You know, Jacob was given that freedom, and that that was who he was. I have two big six five left handers who played a huge part in what we did. Him and Christian Winston. If you look at our stat line, we had 16 games. They were in more than half of them you know, as bullpen guys. Another thing that we haven't even touched upon, credit to them. I love structuring our pitching staff from the back, you know, forward, which I love our bullpen. And those guys could be starters very easily, but they're very dominant for a certain amount of time. And they believed in me and trust the process and believed in themselves that had enough confidence that they could go in the pen and it's not that big a deal. And they're both, you know, big six four, six five lefties completely different one over the top one funky from the side completely different throwing programs uh completely different weight room programs uh completely different bullpens how we throw you know their 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 bullpens and what sets we use and what routine we use for them so if you look at them just up in person you're like well these are two big donkeys but just the way we approach them on a day-to-day basis is just completely different they're just completely different guys I have to say it's completely refreshing to hear that. You know, uh, um, the atmosphere that I was in, uh, I was at a Division One JUCO at Pensacola Junior College and then yeah. went to the University of West Florida over Division Two. Um, it was a culture shock for me because the JUCO that, that I came from was, you know, last year of draft and follow, no rules, yeah. seven days a week, seven hours a day. And it never felt like it was like I was dying. It was just so different. And like you said earlier about like the crash course of, you know, how to go about your business and, and um, the differences that I noticed in the division two school that I was, was way more cookie cutter. And I didn't even realize it until later, you know? Um, So hats off to you, by the way, because that is, it is very impressive that knowing the amount of kids that you have to monitor and, and keep going and you're still able to becoming, you know, kind of matching their personality with the programs that you know will work. So great job. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and part of it, I think a, a big thing for me was being able to, you know, I've kind of uh, had different experiences. I think that's really important for coaches as well. As well, I think sometimes we get trapped in one place and that's it. And this is the way it goes. I, I'm really grateful for my junior college to Division One junior college, you know, at Eastern Oklahoma to a Division Two to the other part of the country in Florida and had a lot of different head coaches that have, you know, you get a chance to see how different people do it in different parts. I actually had Randy Sullivan's kid at FIU, believe it or not, Ty Sullivan. Wow. Really? That was a, that was a whole another story an interesting one. And he's a great kid. And, and I still talk to Randy all the time. He's done obviously some tremendous things. And I was kind of in the, in the forefront of, of when he started his uh, academy over there in, in Florida. And, uh, was that when he had the armory? The armory, that's right. Yeah, the armory, I'm a yes. I'm a nerd. I've been following this stuff for a long time. Been working at this stuff for a long time. So I'm, yeah, I actually was... knew a kid who is from my area in Florida that went okay. to St. Pete JUCO and then was training at the armory. And he was like one of the first ones to throw a hundred there. And then now he's with yeah. the Angels. He ended up being the driveline guy there. But yeah, I, that little place was like the idea that I saw. Where I was like, oh my god, if I was to build an academy, like this is an office building with a, with like three nets. That's all it was. It was crazy, man. He, he, he's done a phenomenal job since he was there. And, and, you know, Ty, I still talk to Ty too. He got married not too long ago. So that was pretty cool. Pretty cool to see him do all that stuff. Definitely. I have one more thing, but it might take too long. What do you got, Sam? You got five more minutes? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, man. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to, this is simply, I, I, we're looking for feedback. Um, I keep on asking a lot of our guys this, our pitching guys, how we've been discussing sequences. And, and I'm not looking for, you know, do you like it? Do you, I'm just curious if it's in line with the way that you've thought about it, because I just hadn't thought about it this way before. So this is, you know, kudos to John. But um, he just, first off, I heard him talk about, like, simplifying things into fast, slow. Um, and okay. so we would go to live at bats, and he'd just be like, hitters, watch our fast, slow patterns. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, they're doing the same exact thing. And then we've expanded that into thinking, okay, you talk about getting to two strikes as quickly as possible. So we like the idea of teaching four pitch sequences. Okay. So I think the idea that I don't like is all of this attention to the count because all we care about is just executing pitches to get to those counts, right? So like, I feel like, oh, it's two, oh, I have to throw certain things. Well, no, it's the third pitch of my sequence, and I'm going to throw whatever I plan to throw in this sequence. So we're teaching just simply. So whether you're whether you're two zero or zero two, that third pitch is being thrown no matter what. Well, but then there's context to it, right? So you have an idea of like in that sequence, if I do get zero two, what is that third? So if I go fast, fast, slow, slow, right? So if I'm in a two zero, right, and my slow, I'm a slider guy, so I'm just plopping that slider over. But if I'm 0-2, that's the nasty back foot slider to the lefty or I'm backdooring it to a uh, – or, you know, whatever. So um, I, I think that's where the coaching comes out of it. So I think this is where we're – I'm excited about the idea because it's a way to teach a, a nine-year-old, hey, can you just master like three to four sequences? Fast, fast, yeah. slow, 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 fast, fast, right? Just give them whatever you think is simple and then grow out of that. Um, and I've never heard that perspective before. And I'm, and I think it's, I think it's kind of smart. <laughs> so, yeah. but, but I don't know. I think I, I, maybe it's, maybe it seems to me that it's simplifying. Yeah. I, I, I would even tell you, I would even suggest that you add, maybe we do a thing called leverage, right? We talk about leverage pitching when we do our sequencing. So 
you talk about going fast, fast, slow, slow, and whether you're O2 or 2-0, you know, that slow third pitch is coming, but maybe you you un- let them understand the concept of leverage. Like you said, if it's an O2 pitch, it's a count leverage. I always talk about count leverage. So let's say we're doing our sequence of four pitches, and instead of instead of us focusing so much on the count, we're 1-1, we're 2-0, we're 0-2. It's more of, I have count leverage here. This is what I'm going to do with my count leverage breaking ball. I don't have count leverage here. What do I have yeah. to do with my count leverage stuff? And with the fastball as well. You know, I always talk about, hey, with the fastball, with count leverage, our misses are different than when we're behind in the count. It's just you got to understand, you know, where you're at in the process. Well, so I think I think we're it, it might be a little biased towards younger players. Uh, I'll admit that. But but I also think that I treat a lot of my college players pretty similar to a lot of my nine and 10 year olds. And so I think it, it's a way to introduce ideas. You know, John talked about that uh, back foot change up, you know, that it might be simply like, hey, I think what I'm getting at is I like the idea of going fast, fast, slow, slow, and I'm, and being able to go, I don't care how executed it is. It's just, that's a sequence that you got to just like, you know, marry yourself Master. to. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And then and then the, the coaching part of it is like, it's simple, right? This kid can throw a change up that's competitive no matter the leverage of the situation because that's his go-to thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Just like you put me in a 2-0 count and you're getting a slider 95% of the time. Like it's just my go-to thing in my head, you know? And I just don't see why that's any different than these sequences. And I think, um, you know, and you just, I, I, again, I don't even know how to ask this question. It's just thoughts, right? At, at this point, this is the birth of ideas. We're like, we're talking with uh, Gene Larkin and Carrie Leitenberg the other day. And Carrie basically told us that he just went fast, fast, slow the whole entire career. So he was going to go until he got two strikes. He was just going to go fastballs away to everybody. Yeah. You know, and it's like we know that that can work. But what if he just had simply three sequences instead of only one and a half? Because, right, it was like in leverage situations, he was just going to go straight to a slider. And if in unleveraged situations, he just went off fastball. And I just think there's a simpler option. Like, I don't know. It's. I, I think, I think, I, I, so here's what I think on, I think the games evolved so much where if you take your guys, whether it's a college guy or a young guy and you teach them those sequence and they master it and they have a three pitch sequence, that's awesome. Let's say it's a younger kid. You've done wonders with them because he's got three pitch. He's got a three different three pitch sequence. He could go to now. Let's say he comes to me. I could help him. I could take that concept that he has and evolve from it. Be like, okay, these are leverage pitches. Exactly. Everybody, everybody nowadays has video, right? So we can't, we got to be a little careful in what we do. We can't just have one sequence, right? Because everyone has video Mm -hmm. and what, and what all the pitchers try to do. I mean, we chart everything, we video everything, synergy, everything. So now you could say one of your sequences could be instead of that third pitch being the soft, soft, we're going to go fast, fast, fast just to keep guys off balance. Exactly. Exactly. Of course. One of the biggest things that we do and where a lot of our punch outs come in, and maybe I shouldn't say this, but it doesn't matter. We're going to switch it up as we go is we, we like to start or end the game, depending on we'll go fastball, fastball, show a fastball up. Guys are expecting a breaking ball and we keep stay with the fastball and we ram it inside and mm-hmm. ram it inside, yep. right? Yep. Until they make an adjustment and they've seen it enough to where it really opens up to a point that we throw a bad breaking ball next time where we've gone fastball, 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 yep. fastball in twice. Yep. And we did the same thing, but we throw in a bad breaking ball. 
you see like the little shake in it and it's like, okay, this is a bad breaking ball, but he was clearly looking for something different. Exactly. So we try to switch it up as it goes. So I think it's a good thing. And I think they just have to evolve at every level. So whether just like when you do that and you show them their three pitch sequence, I take it and I say, okay, the guys are going to be watching video. This is what we have to do. They move on from me. And now they have to understand that there's even other types of video going on. There's, the Astros banging the trash can in the drum, right? So you got to understand, you got to even take it to a different level on that. So I think all of that, you know, if you could teach them, it's step one to how they could use it. It's another tool what they could use moving forward. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a great way. Thank you for saying it that way. Just because that's that's we're handing off a kid who's more prepared to a college coach exactly. when they have simple ideas like that. Exactly. And how many kids have zero concept of something as simple as that coming to the college level? I'm not, you don't even have to say anything to that, but we know what happens more often than it should. Absolutely. So absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. I love it's that. Fun. It's fun. Um, we, I've actually been executing with one of our, we got a gangster nine, 10 year old. He's 10 now. Um, and he's, uh fastball cutter change and uh he absolutely loves it and i've been doing remote stuff with him here and we've been giving him homework to go play the show and then watch old video or watch old games and executing the sequences and he's and i think cast did we come up with 12 of them i guess we should probably write it down so if you do there's only if you have three two pitches and three sequences there's only eight variations of that and then if you if you do that with four pitches uh four sequences uh then it's like 16 or something so the right it's just bringing to light introducing it to people to be like hey this isn't that scary people make it seem so complicated right if you just do two pitches you know, we have a lot of different ways to get people out. You, you know what's funny, man? That's funny you guys say the show, and, and it's not that complicated. I, I kid you not. I'm not making the story up. So my four-year-old, he plays that, uh, not the show. It's called, like, MLB Nine Innings on his iPad. He's four years oh, yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Four yeah. years old. During this whole quarantine, he's played it. I give, him, I give him 30 minutes to an hour to play it before he's got to do his Zoom classroom. And yesterday, he's like, hey, Dad, let's play it. Play with me. And he, he comes up with sequences himself. So he told me every time I throw a ball, I can throw the ball right here, and they always swing and miss, unless they're a diamond player. Then the diamond oh, players don't do it. So yeah. And even at an early age, yeah. they understand the concept of putting pitches together and what works and what doesn't work. So that's pretty well, funny. That's pretty funny you say that and pretty cool. And I think if you if you get them to understand, they're that much more prepared when they come to us. And, you know, it's up to exactly, us. As, it's up to us as coaches to, to listen to what they like to do. And if we say, hey, no, we're going to do it this way, then we're going to screw that kid up. you know. But if we say, if the kid comes up and says, hey, I've been working on this three-pitch sequence, I say, okay, well, let's start with that. Know that we're going to have to evolve from that because hitters are going to make an adjustment. But let's force the hitter to make an adjustment based on you being completely efficient with this first. And that's how we could evolve from it. Yeah. What um, I actually want to go a little deeper into the idea because uh, I, I find it very, uh, it really changed my career, not only for me executing se- sequences, but evaluating hitters from the bench to know what I was doing going into yep. the game. Yep. And I, I, you know, when I was down in Mexico playing, I used to, I would sit right next to our manager and I would just talk to him or the hitting coach about what he saw on the hitter and yep. where he was going. 
And so then, you know, you have your basic scouting report that I'm sure you're probably used to, you know, who swings yeah. at first pitch, who swings at second pitch, who swings yeah. after a strike, who swings, who green lights everything. You know what I mean? So I had these things in my ideas and I started just going fast, slow with it, following the pitcher and putting stuff out there. And all of a sudden I started seeing holes. And then it made more sense when I was applying and then studying the fast flow concepts where we have some of the best relievers in the game. Rivera, we're both cutter guys, right? We, you, we're all cutter fans here. And if you look at how he threw his cutter and what he would do it in situations, you know, he didn't just, people want to argue that he had one pitch. I'm like, no, no, no. this guy, yeah. this guy had the asterisk, like the lower half of the asterisk of pitch movement. Like he could make his cutter go flat angle yeah. down. He could sink it. It could run completely. It was white through everything. It was very impressive to watch him do his stuff. Right. So we start, I started looking at like the way he evaluated, you know, his slow, but his best slow pitches and his banger cutters and when he would throw them and where he would throw it. And then compare that to other guys that would be brought into the game that, that had multiple pitches that would do stuff. And you'd see that like slow, slow, fast, fast, or slow, fast, slow, or things like that. Majority of the time, big leaguers and RBI situations started doing that. So I yeah. just started applying that to my game and being like, well, what is my best slow, right? What is a get me, what is going to be a good different variation of the slow, right? So you start creating maybe like you would go cutter, slider, change fast, right? And it would just, maybe maybe that's what I needed to do on that guy, that righty, because I'm using my advantage on right on right. But then again, maybe not. Maybe it was better for me to, he saw nothing but breaking balls the whole day. So yeah. I can't come in and do the same thing, right? And so like, it just made it easier for me to literally process the game in the pen to know, I needed to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, the scout, the scouting report. So there's a big, there's two parts to that, right? So I have our our starting pitcher who throws the next day. So let's say we're on a Friday game. The Saturday guy is charting every single pitch for me, right next to me. And there's there's times where I I'll ask him, like we're in a two two count, and I'm like, hey, I think I'm gonna go fastball in here. What do you think? What do you got? What do you got? And I force him to give me a decision to see what the pitch is. That way he's thinking along. And he's and he knows what he wants to do the next day against that team, and where, trust me, I I've contemplated this. I've wanted to like have our pitchers just call every single pitch and me get completely away from it. The only reason why I don't do that yet is because the parts that of me is is the tendencies like you talked about. Every college coach has hitting guys have so much tendencies that those guys don't get to see. We have our guys in our conference that try to be sneaky and they get two quick outs and the assistant calls over the guy for a meeting. And he's thinking that we're just going to go fastball down the middle. So the guy could go ahead and double. So where he's trying to play a psychological game of, Hey, you're taking this pitch. That's why I'm calling you over here to give our pitcher more time. No, he's letting them go ahead and go based on who it is. And I've seen these on videos. So that's the time where I'm like, okay, he's probably, he's trying something here, even though we got two quick outs on three pitches and it says, let's go fastball here. We're going to go a little change up because I know he's swinging. So mm -hmm. that's the part of me that still doesn't want to uh, take it away from them. Just the whole study or, or me still be involved in it. But as the years go, I give those guys more and more freedom to do what, what they have to do, especially the starters. I haven't, I haven't quite gotten to a point where, I could give the relievers enough information because we don't know when they're coming in and who they're coming in to face. You know, I have an idea. Hey, these three lefties in a row hit in the middle of the lineup. You two left-handers be ready, you know, but 
the starters are able to break everything down. Hey, if they do this and that, they're going to probably look to do this. You know, every time after a, a pitching visit, they're going to try to steal. I'm going to go ahead and pick. So those type of things is is why I still have my hands on it. But as the years go by, man, I, I just contemplate this idea. I, I just want them to call every pitch on their own, not even ask me for it. But, you know, I think eventually we'll figure out a way to get to that point. But it, the importance of them understanding what the hitters are doing is huge, man. Just just like you talked about being right there next to coach in the, in the front line of it, right in front of the dugout. You know, we kind of force our starters to do the same thing. <clears throat> I think I want to say something like, don't be afraid to assume that you're right. Right. So if you look oh, at yeah, a dude's swing yeah. and yeah. it's like that swing is going in and out of the zone real quick. Yeah. Um, don't overthink that. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I think that, I, I think that a lot of the, the, the young, you know, players that we talk to, you know, just, you know, John always brings up the video game, but that's the thing is they're not like actively involved in it. So yeah, yeah I, I think that's the more that they, the more that you get kids that aren't as actively involved in their pitch calling, I imagine that that's probably something to do with you driving that. It's like, God, I got to freaking do it. Somebody's got to do it because I'm shoving guys to the bigs all the time. So yeah, um, it, we're at like, it's got to be a happy medium. And we'll, we'll you know, it, it's still, I trust me, I contemplate this all the time on it, but you know, I think we have a good balance at our place where yeah. the guys trust me. And I think they trust me based on me giving them all the information that I'm seeing. So they understand what I'm seeing and having the luxury to have their own opinion of stuff as well. Like but I, but I you can't them. expect, you can't expect them to know the third base coach. You know what no, I mean? That's, like That's the part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, what's pretty cool is we have bullpen guys, the older bullpen guys have come in and, they'll come in and they'll come from one side of the dugout where they're cheering their teammates on and being goofy and silly. And we have to pull the rope a little bit because some of the stuff they're saying is not appropriate. Right. So I've had them come to my side of the dugout and say, Hey, you could go in on this guy, you know? And I'm like, okay, cool. It's on you right now. You know, so let's do it. So, and they're not even on the mound. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. They're not on the mound and they're telling me what they think I should call for this pitch for their teammate that's on the mound. So, I think that that's that's kind of the the good culture that we had in our pitching staff, and it takes time to do it. And once once you're in a system for one or two years, they kind of coach themselves. And I think that's you know as I stay at a place longer and longer, the the falls get easier and easier with our older guys taking charge. Yeah, that's, that, awesome. that's, that's well. Well, Sam, it's it's been a little bit of a time uh, we're running up on uh, the end of our podcast here. Uh, this has been an unbelievable insight into your program. I really appreciate it. I know our community is is really going to enjoy what they're hearing. It's really in line with a lot of the stuff we've been saying about how baseball you know needs to be going, where it is, and it, it's very refreshing. So I appreciate you coming on. This is a tremendous recruiting tool for the city of San Diego and the area. No, I, I appreciate it is you so guys. Exciting. I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, you know, when this thing kind of clears up and opens up, we'll go ahead and uh, go pay a visit. I know you guys got a new facility out here. And all I ask is how do I get one of those hats, man? I got you. I got you. We no, got, they're on the, they're on the that site. One's perf- that, that one's oh, perfect yeah. for recruiting right there. Man. Yeah. The red one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. I got you. I, I got you for sure. Yeah. We, I'm a little bit of that gear guy, you know, Christmas, you know, when we had those two Christmases when I was playing, you had the first one you got there, you got your, oh, you know, yeah. your practice stuff and the shorts. And then, you know, the, the week before the season, I was always just, Oh, so excited. So oh, yeah. I wanted to I, keep I, that going. 
Yeah. Nike takes good care of us, man. I'll, I'll bring some. Oh, yeah. You guys have great gear store. for sure. Yes. Definitely. Let me know when you guys yeah. open up. And I'll, I'll bring some treats for you guys, too. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. We look, we want to, we want to support the area as best we can and keep going. And, you know, we've got guys that are on the list. Matter of fact, one of them commented in here. Uh, one of our, one of our guys, Octavio Sanchez says hello. Okay. And, and, and uh, he's, uh, he's finished over at Southwestern Community College. So okay. anyway, um, <clears throat> appreciate it again, guys. Um, Sam's over at San Diego State. Um, you can check out his information on the uh, San Diego State website. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to uh, finish up with, touch on? Um, oh man, I just appreciate all you guys doing and for, you know, for all the athletes out there, just, you know, stay in shape. I know it's difficult times. I know some seniors are, are, are kind of starting to panic with what's going on. Hey, the Juco route, this is going to make the, the junior colleges stronger. I know when I played, when you played, John, the junior colleges, when you cast, they were really a big thing, not only for player development, but for growing as a man. So uh, I think it's going to make them stronger and, and you just keep working and you'll get to where you want to be. It's just, you know, it's just a little setback, but you'll be fine. Just work hard through it. Definitely. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks again. <clears throat> Have a good one, uh, Sam. Stay safe and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks again, guys. I appreciate you guys. Yep. Thank, Thank you guys. guys.